Hey everyone, welcome back to AWM Insights. I'm your host, Brandon Averill, along here with our CIO, Justin Dyer. And as you know, each week we cut through the noise of what Wall Street is selling you to bring you the knowledge, skills, and access that you need to invest like a pro. And today we're going to tackle kind of the third leg of a topic. We've talked about where you actually need to get your advice from, when's it a good time to invest. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how you actually go about building the professional portfolio. But as we always do, before we jump into that, let's recap a little bit what's going on in the markets. So some good news coming out on the economic and earnings front. Um, Jobless claims last week hitting a new pandemic era low. Uh, continuing claims, I, I believe, also hit a new pandemic era low. So both moving in the right direction. Again, I'm sure we've mentioned this time and time again. The, these type of statistics bounce around a lot. It was a couple weeks of jobless claims that were moving upward. We're seeing a turn, and it was a it was a pretty positive turn in terms of magnitude. On the flip side, inflation is still stubbornly high. We've talked about that a number of times on this podcast. Uh, Along with inflation, the the and largely could be uh, argued that this is driving inflation. The supply chain headaches are still very much in place here. Um, and then again, on the flip side here, we have earnings coming out. We're kind of hitting uh, hitting our stride with earnings, and it is shaping up to be another pretty strong uh, and positive earnings se- season. Expectations were pretty high. So far, uh, actual results have have out performed expectations for the most part. So that could be a continued driver of market performance. We don't have a crystal ball. Who knows? So uh, take that with a grain of salt. You mean inflation is not going to totally crash the markets this Ah, next week? That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Well, let's uh, put some money on it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, if everybody else is gambling, we might as well too, right? There you go. Uh, on the on the labor front, so we heard we talked about jobless claims, but there there's some uh, um, uh, stirring up, a, a, if you will, a, a factory workers for John Deere. They're, they went on strike last week, um, trying to get higher benefits as they always do, um, and, and really participate in the growth that companies like John Deere are experiencing. So see how how that works out on the flip side um, from from a labor perspective. This is, I think, pretty big. We've t- touched on this, and it's been, it's, it still is a long story to go, but it's been a long time coming. The global corporate tax rate looks to be uh, in an agreement amongst what are called the OECD countries. Those are, it's an organization of, uh, of wealthy countries, they call it. They've agreed to a 15% floor on the corporate tax rate. Ireland was the, the longstanding holdout there. And, and there is a tentative agreement there. Now countries have to go and approve it. So there still is uh, plenty to, to unfold in front of us. But that is, it's pretty, pretty big if, if, uh, if this actually does come to fruition, which we got another step closer to actually making that happen. LeBron, on the sports front, LeBron sold a big stake uh, in his, his media group to Nike, Redbird, Fenway, and the Fenway Sports Group. I think it valued it around $750 million bucks. So, uh, hey, kudos to LeBron. Then on the, the Asian front, LinkedIn shuttering its, uh, its platform in China. Not the first social media platform to do so, but basically just say, kind of throwing up their hands at this point, saying it's too hard to do business 
with all the requirements and whatnot. Then lastly, on the news front, just wrapping up things up here. So uh, probably as this is going to air, it looks like it's likely that there's a Bitcoin futures ETF that's going to start trading. Um, that's big news. That, that's one of the reasons Bitcoin and a lot of other crypto has, have been spiking recently. I do want to underscore, though, it is not holding Bitcoin directly. This is a Bitcoin futures ETF. The price will not move in the exact same way as the underlying asset. And it's really, really important for, for folks to under, understand that. There are a lot more very efficient ways to hold uh, cryptocurrency if you're, you're so interested. And uh, we've talked about some of those in the past, but uh, a Bitcoin futures ETF in my opinion, is not the best way to go if you're interested in that speculative marketplace. Well, so. I think I think Justin, that's a perfect uh, transition, right? How to actually invest like a pro uh, and not, not fall to the marketing of of Wall Street. I mean, we've seen these types of ETFs pop up, and I think unfortunately, unfortunately, these ETF structures have also become synonymous with index type approaches as well. And and a lot of people don't understand the actual underlying instruments and what they're actually investing in. And so it would be, uh, I think it would be fun for us today to dig in a little bit into, okay, great. You know, now I've, I've determined, um, you know, where am I going to get my advice? Okay. I'm not going, I'm not in the mass affluent. Um, I don't have all of my savings sitting in a 401k program. Um, so going to the big wirehouses probably isn't in my best interest. And we certainly would argue it's probably not in anyone's best interest. However, you know, I certainly understand the need for a multifamily office or a family office structure. If I have any significance of wealth going on, um, you know, I, a good benchmark, right? If I'm, if I'm at all worried about these potentially changing estate tax, um, you know, legislation that could happen, it, we should get as far away from the uh, from the Goldman's and the Merrill's and the Morgan's and all, all these wirehouses you possibly could. Um, so we, we've tackled that. We've tackled when is it actually a good time to invest? You know, markets seem like they're doing extremely well at times. Uh, we're towards market all time highs. Valuations seem high, et cetera. Um, you know, that that natural feeling of is now a good time or should I wait? We know. When's the best time to invest? Now you should always be invested, right? Uh, with the money that you're, you should be investing. I think that's we went over that in the, in the last episode. But jumping over to the how we should actually invest and building that truly professional portfolio, right? I'd love for you to hit on for us a little bit. You know, we've talked. We we certainly have beat down the active management argument. We know the evidence is strongly against that. Um, but what we haven't talked a whole lot about is the indexing approach, right? And the potential pitfalls there. What is an ETF? Are all of these things constructed in the same way? Should we just be should we just be indexing, or is maybe there a better way? If you could maybe jump into that a bit, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, it's a it's a meaty topic, so we'll try and stay super high level here. Um, but within a, a multifamily office approach, I think I want to highlight that. The, the two mo most important facets of that approach are integration and independence with respect to, to this conversation. So independence, we're independent of, of Wall Street. We'd say that time and time again, we're not producing product that the big banks are, are producing and then having their 
their advisors, their financial advisors, then then sell that to their clients. We talked about what was it HS or uh, UBS, I believe it was, offloading their Evergrande bonds to Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse, Credit Suisse, one of those Swiss banks, offloading (laughs) their Evergrande bonds to their actual clients, knowing that they were too risky for them to hold on. Right. That is that is the independent nature of what we do. We're we are not beholden to any single entity or product uh, out there. We can really truly build a portfolio that is in your best interest. How, how do we go about doing that? So Brandon, you mentioned past, we've talked about active, we know the pitfalls there. There are also some pitfalls with respect to passive investing. You can invest passively following an index. S&P 500 is being you know the, probably the more common one. You can even buy uh, uh, products or mutual funds or ETFs that track the NASDAQ. I mean, the, the, the list is amazing nowadays, but there's pitfalls with, with do, going that route. An index is a very um, kind of uh, uh, rule, very tight rules-based construction um, or rules-based basket, if you will. And what has to happen, so, so it, it, the investors and those that are trying to track an index is these index providers need to very clearly state what is going on with their index. A perfect, relevant, recent example is the S&P 500 adding uh, Tesla to that particular basket of stocks. And what happens is it's called reconstitution. Somebody has to fall out of that index and another company has to go into that index. I mean, they are literally telegraphing to the market what has to happen. And if you are an index tracker, you have to buy Tesla on the day that it enters the index. So, I mean, and, and that's just a silly, a silly activity to participate in, right? You, you're, you're, and what you see is people are smart enough to buy Tesla ahead of that date and take advantage of that spike in price because they know they're going to have willing buyers on that date. And it's just, it's just silly. So, you basically take. The, the, the best way to kind of, let's say, blend the world of active and the world of passive is to take the rules-based approach, the systematic approach that index providers pro- provide, sorry to be redundant there, but be smarter than them and don't participate in these silly reconstitution days when a company gets added to or, or um, subtracted from a, a, ben- a particular benchmark or index. And and tr- trade smartly. So there are studies that show you you are giving up performance relative to the index just by blindly participating in that actual event. There are other things you can do about trading smartly uh, just or, and, and patiently within the marketplace, not not just when um, when there's a liquidity event or li- or need for liquidity. You can take advantage of things that are called momentum and whatnot. And I'm really trying not to go go too too much down a rabbit hole here, but there are ways in which you can focus on parts of the market that are uh, that are, have historically outperformed relative to the benchmark. We say small and value companies throughout this podcast. Those have have tended to outperform the benchmark as a whole. So let's favor those relative to what the benchmark does. So, and then we talked about the actual vehicle, mutual funds versus ETFs. And the short answer is there's, they, they can all be good for a given situation, add in their uh, separately managed account uh, in certain s- situations. 
we aren't beholden to a specific product or a specific vehicle type. We will do what is truly in that in the client's best interest and do it in a customized way. So what dictates how the actual portfolio looks at the end of the day is your unique financial plan using your priorities to tell us how much do we want to have in very high quality stable assets? How much can we actually put at risk in the market? How much do we then want to put at risk in the public markets versus how much do we want to put at risk in the private markets? The private markets is a completely different uh, ball game to an extent. Being active there, having specific access, focusing on outperformance even more so than we do on the public market side makes all the sense in the world if you have the asset base, which it, within a multifamily office structure, most of our clients do. And, and I just want to add, and I'll stop because I'm going on a rant here, but mm. within that private market space as well, you need to be very cautious today. You mentioned that valuations are maybe high on the public market side of things. There is so much money chasing after private assets today uh, because they're looking. People are looking for for alternatives. They're, the interest rates are low. Equity market returns have been very good. What else is out there? And so prices are being bid up into the private market space because returns have been quite good there, and and people are just throwing money, good money after bad, just because it has the label private um, slapped on it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have outperformance. I mean, it access is critical. Patience is critical on the private side of things. So, you know, th that I think in a nutshell is how, how we go about thinking about investing um, really from a, say, 30,000 foot standpoint. It, it's customized. It's integrated. It's independent. And it's, uh, it's very thoughtful uh, around how we're deploying capital, but we are deploying capital because it makes sense to, to invest in markets how they are. You can't control the market you're, you're investing in today and you don't want to miss out on those, those long-term returns. No, I think that was a great, a really great summary. And I'll hook on to your, the private example here. I was just spending the weekend with some venture capitalists and you know, it's it's fascinating when uh, when you sit around with these folks and you hear about their process and the deal flow and how many opportunities they look at and and what they get right and what they get wrong and, and what those you know, what the odds are. And then you start to contrast that with, you know, maybe a client that sees a couple deals or somebody sends them something and you just quickly realize that unless you're immersed in this, unless you really are getting that deal flow, I mean, how how absolutely ridiculous it is to think that you can have the foresight to see an opportunity. You might get lucky. There is no doubt about that, but the odds are, right? And if we're gonna be successful professional investors, we invest with the odds. And the odds are is that you're probably not picking that off. So, you know, it, it's really interesting. I was with a a high profile uh, employee at a, at a pretty big, um, you know, growth company. And he was talking about, well, I'm, you know, yeah, the, I get these cool opportunities. I write a hundred thousand dollar check here, $200,000 check there. And before you know it, he's got this, this small portfolio of stuff that really doesn't have the proper due diligence. Now that's money that fortunately he could probably just walk away from and, and it's going to be okay. But if you want to be a successful professional investor, it does go back to that structure and that plan. And that's something I talked to him about is that's great. Now you feel overwhelmed because you have all this stuff you don't know. 
But what would have been a heck of a lot more successful is if we would have sat down and gone through your priorities and said, hey, here's the money that you need to bulletproof your family for the next 50, 75, 100 years. Here's the part that we got to keep liquid for all of your important priorities. Okay, you want to go work on your multi-generational wealth, uh, which is the specialty of working with a family office. Now, here we go with the private side and let's do this in a way that is the most successful. Um, And I, I think everybody gets really excited about the private deals. But even in that example, it was just peeling back and going, well, we're talking again about the the absolute weeds here. Let's go back to you know your overall structure, but then, like you said, Justin, from a from a public investment standpoint, right? We know active is worthless, but just really even looking and saying, okay, what is what is the most successful piece here? How do I stack up my odds? And then don't get all caught up in the emotions of you know reading tea leaves and this and that and and trying to figure out like, oh, who's going to give me the advantage here when we know that the information is actually pretty efficient. So, um, you know, how you go about this stuff is actually fairly simple when you when you break it down, right? It's diversification, it's global, it's being in the right, you know, in the right investment vehicles. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing to, to underscore here, the comment you made to underscore is the how here is stacking the odds in your favor. And it is simple. I mean, and any good uh, outcome should should be a simple version of a very complex system. It's not to say investing isn't complex. Is it is it confusing? Are you inundated with noise? Are you inundated with these bright, shiny, uh, you know, carrots, if you will? Yeah, we all are. I mean, you, you want to you know you want to go after this private investment that you your buddy you know, has access, access to whatever the case may be. There's so many, there are so many uh, examples of this on the private or the public market side. It's Hey, I want to find the next Tesla, you know, (laughs) but the odds of doing that are, are very, very, very low. Can you do that with a small portion of your portfolio? Yeah, by all means, right size, those, those entertainment plays. But if you Truly take a step back and think through what's important. What are your priorities? And then look at the data. I mean, it's incredible how much data we have in front of us nowadays, both on the public market and the private. It's way better on the public market side. We understand that that marketplace a heck of a lot better than we do on the private side. But we do know that access, that the top tier on the private side outperforms over and over and over again. And if you don't have access there, it's not, it's just not worth it. Just, just, I mean, you know, don't even try kind of to, to what Brandon was talking about earlier on the public side, active doesn't really make sense. Going all passive generally doesn't make sense at all. It's a better, it's a better outcome. It's a better way to go, but you can, you can be smarter. You can implement through what are called factor-based investing lenses to be smarter than the index, be like the index, but be smarter than the index. And you're stacking the odds in your favor. If you think through your priorities, build your portfolio to support those, thoughtfully allocate to public markets, make sure you can get access to to sound private market investments, whether that be in private equity, venture capital, real estate, debt, so on and so forth. Really ask that. I was listening to um, some venture capitalists talk last week too. He said one of the first questions he asks himself, and this is relatively successful, not not a 
not a bulge bracket, you know, uh, Silicon Valley firm, but but plenty of a, a, a great um, track record, plenty of a strong track record, said, why am I seeing this deal? Why, what value am I able to provide to this? And why am I actually getting an opportunity to take a swing at this? That's an incredibly important, important question to ask yourself. If you're just there to write a check, you should probably say no. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I think a good summary of this whole conversation after listening to you talk about that is, you know, do you want to be the house? Do you want to be the one dropping the ball in the roulette table? Or do you want to be the guy that's picking numbers, right? Yeah. Everybody hits the number once in a while. Everybody gets lucky. and But you would never, no rational human being is going to go into a casino and be like, oh, that guy's hit 36 three times. He's a genius. I should you know, put all my money with him. No, we all know that the house is the way to go. Even when you get caught up in the excitement of hitting the number, if you pull yourself back out, it's no different than investing. You want to stack the odds in your favor. You might, if you if you guess, you might hit a stock, and and that's what kind of fuels this whole thing. I think, but um, you know, if you're if you're one of these people listening to this, you have the wealth that we're talking about. You know, you you understand the value of a family office. It's getting out of this product driven sales culture and really putting together a sustainable plan for multi generational wealth. Like that's the point here, right? The point is to manage your money in a way, your wealth in a way, so that you can make impact far beyond your lifetime, hopefully for future generations, maybe in your family, maybe community, maybe the whole world, uh, depending on your resources. But go find yourself a, a family office that is a good fit for you because that's where you're gonna find the advice to build a portfolio like we're talking about and truly invest like a pro. So uh, we'll wrap up here, but head on over to awminsights.com, uh, sign up for our newsletter. We we shoot out some good stuff there, I think would be really applicable to anybody looking for a family office. And then we also have a download there that's actually goes into the value of a family office. So uh, we'd love to send you those resources, uh, but until next time, own your wealth, make an impact and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.